Brethren, the story of a great recovery. Part 1 England and Wales. Chapter 4 Early Brethren. Before proceeding further, we will briefly introduce to the reader those men whose names have been mentioned, and who under the guidance of the Holy Spirit were used of God in the founding and development of this and other assemblies. When J. N. Darby and his friends arrived at Plymouth to begin work, they found a young man there who had already become known in the villages round about the ancient seaport town as a faithful and zealous preacher. He was just 26. Previous to this time he had resigned a captaincy in the Royal Navy for conscience sake, although, it is said, he could ill afford the loss of his pay. His name was Captain Percy Francis Hall, a name which for half a century was closely identified with the activities of the Lord's people, principally in the south of England. A man of peculiarly independent inclinations, accounted by some as eccentricities, his views are propounded in a tract. Discipleship, which displays not only the courage and fearlessness of the wider, but his unfailing devotion to the fundamental truths, which he ever sought to manifest in precept and practice. Warmly interested in prophetic teaching. Captain Hall was a frequent visitor to Powiscourt House, County Wicklow, the residence of Lady Powiscourt, where, along with Bellette, Darby and others, he took an active part, and in the troublous times of 1848-49 his counsel was sought in the interests of peace. George Vice's Imus Wigram was about the same age as Captain Hall at the time when he formed one of the little company of believers at Plymouth. He had been brought to the Lord a few years previously, whilst a subaltern officer in the army, but soon afterwards relinquished his position to enter Queen's College, Oxford, with a view to taking orders in the Church of England. It was here that he made the acquaintance of those men whose names in years to come were destined to figure so prominently in the Brethren movement. G. E. V. Wigram was the twentieth child of Sir George Wigram, a merchant and shipowner in London, and was born in 1805. A profound Bible student, he devoted many years in the preparation of the Englishman's Hebrew and Chaldee concordance to the Old Testament, and a cognate one to the Greek New Testament, in which occupation he freely used the greater portion of a considerable fortune. Wigram interested himself in the compiling of hymns for the poor of the flock, a hymn book which today, in a somewhat altered form, is still in use amongst assemblies known as exclusives. The first collection of hymns specially compiled for the use of brethren was called a Christian hymn book, and was issued from Plymouth from the publishing office of their first magazine. The Christian Witness The name of George Vice's Imus Wigram is notably associated with the founding of the First Assembly in London. Commenced on similar lines to the parent meeting at Plymouth, it was the forerunner of many other assemblies, which, in a comparatively short time, sprang up throughout the metropolis. In Wigram, J. N. Darby found a loyal and strenuous supporter throughout the unfortunate controversy waged by the indomitable Irish leader, and during the lamentable eruption of 1845, which brought so much pain and bitterness in its train, Wigram took a prominent part. This is no place nor is it the purpose of these pages to open up old wounds, which time the great healer has sought to close forever. Suffice it to say that though he may have erred in his judgment on matters which affected the well-being of the church through his unwavering loyalty to an adamant leader, his sincerity was never questioned, his motives recognized by at least one who stood in the forefront and received the full force of the onslaught, the venerated George Muller, of Bristol, of whom we have still to white. It was Benjamin Wills Newen who invited Darby to Plymouth. A theologian of some distinction and an able expositor of the scriptures, Newen very soon rose to a position of influence amongst brethren. 
Born in 1807, he was thus the youngest in the group of brethren who first gathered around the Lord's table at Plymouth. Intended for the church his views had already been diverted from pursuing that course before his meeting with Darby and his friends at Oxford, and he readily gave up all thought of the ministry that he might more faithfully obey the will of the Lord, according to this fresh revelation in regard to the true interpretation of church order. From its inception, B. W. Anuwan was actively associated with the meeting at Plymouth, until his secession from the Brethren seventeen years later. The influence of this new movement, despite the many fiery darts of the enemy, was making its presence felt, not only in the town of Plymouth but farther afield, and many were added to the assembly. A noteworthy adjunct was J. L. Harris, perpetual curate of Plymstock, who gave up a comfortable living in the Church of England that he might be associated with those believers who came together on the first day of the week to remember the dying love of the Lord Jesus. This fresh infusion greatly strengthened the growing assembly. Mr. Harris was a man of considerable learning and for a number of years conducted weekly Bible readings at Plymouth, which were attended by people of other denominations and by all classes. It was under his editorship that the Christian Witness, the first periodical of the Brethren, was started in 1834. J. L. Harris was certainly one of the chief men among early brethren as to his individual and assembly connections with B. A. W., Newman and J. N. Darby, as to his active part in the subsequent troublous times, and as to his whitings, which fortunately remain when the sorrows are gone, and continue to breathe the fragrance of the Spirit of Christ possessed by their author. He was a prolific whiter and many of his books, including Precious Truth, Law and Grace, and the Priesthood and the Cross of Christ, held a high place amongst brethren literature. In the same year that the illustrious group of brethren gathered to remember the Lord at Plymouth, where a lamp was lighted which was destined to burn undimmed through the winds and tides of a hundred years, a young German who had lately undergone a great spiritual change, arrived in the Devonshire town of Tainmouth to occupy the pulpit of a small chapel. His name was George Muller, a name which today is loved and revered the world over. Previous to this, the young pastor had been powerfully influenced by the reading of Anthony Norris Grove's pamphlet, Christian Devotedness and his mind was working rapidly along lines which were to materialize into the exercise of the principles now practiced by brethren. It was about this time that he made the acquaintance of a godly young Scotsman named Henry Craik, who, since Muller's arrival at Tainmouth, had become pastor of the Baptist chapel in the neighboring village of Sheldon. Both were only 27 years of age, the former having been born in August, 1805, and the latter in September of the same year. Having much in common, the two became closely attached to each other, with an affection which has been likened to the friendship of David and Jonathan, a friendship which was unbroken through the thirty-six years that these two saintly men were engaged as fellow laborers together in work truly ordained of the Lord. It is a remarkable circumstance that while George Muller's spiritual outlook had been completely changed by the Witten ministry of A.A.N., Groves, the life of Henry Craik had been similarly transformed through the personal influence and teaching of Groves, in whose family he had for some time acted as tutor. Singular though it may appear, it was the arrival of these two strangers in this peaceful corner of Devon that sowed the seeds which were to have their fruition in the formation of an assembly some miles away in the cathedral city of Bristol. It is an interesting story and worthy of recounting here. A Christian gentleman, belonging to the Church of England, while on a visit to Tainmouth, happened one day to attend Craig's chapel at Sheldon. So impressed was he with the ministry of the earnest Scotsman, that, soon after his return to Bristol, he wrote urging Mr. Craig to come to that city, which would afford a much wider sphere for his usefulness. 
Such a request came as a surprise, but seeing in it the hand of the Lord, he decided, after deep spiritual exercise, to go to Bristol. There was no settled pastor at Gideon Chapel at that time, and here Mr. Craig began his mission. So successful was the work, and so signally was the young preacher used in the edification of the Lord's children and in the conversion of the unsaved, that he was led to White, entreating his friend Mr. Muller to join him in the work.